Hi, and welcome to the next installation of EdChoice Chats. I'm Robert Enlow, President and CEO of EdChoice, and I'm here today with Jason Bedrick, our Director of Policy and Resident Arizona Expert. Welcome, Jason. Thank you for having me. So first, let's talk about Arizona in general. I mean, Arizona has been uh, an amazing state for school choice over many years. Talk about the environment that's happened in Arizona since the early mid-90s. Sure. So in 1997, Arizona became the first state to adopt the tax credit scholarship program uh, where individual and corporate donors were able to make donations to scholarship organizations and get dollar for dollar tax credits in return. And then those scholarship organizations helped low and middle income families attend the school of their choice. So Arizona for a long time has been a pioneer in the educational choice movement. So Arizona has pioneered the tax credit program. They've pioneered the charter school movement in many ways. And now they've pioneered this thing called ESAs, or Education Savings Accounts. Give us a little background on the ESA program and what they tried, what they expanded it to this year. How did it expand? Sure. So in uh, 2011, Arizona became the first state to adopt an education savings account. So that means that the state gives a, a percentage of what they would have spent on a child at a district school. Instead, they deposit that into an account, about 90%, into an account that that uh, family can use for a wide variety of educational expenditures. So private school tuition, but also things like tutoring textbooks, homeschool curriculum, online learning, uh, educational therapy, and so on. So it really, it's it's moving from school choice to educational choice and empowering families to select a, a wide variety of educational products and services. Originally, the program was limited only to students with special needs. Uh, and then over the course of a few years, they, they included a, a variety of other different categories of students, uh, foster students that were adopted through the state system, uh, children of active duty members of the military or whose parents were killed in the line of duty, uh, students who were uh, zoned to attend uh, a B or F letter grade school, uh, if, if that was their, if their school district was not a high performing district. And then this year, they decided that they were going to expand it so that all children that were either entering kindergarten or who were uh, switching out of a district or charter school could have access to these programs, no matter what their um, family's income or no matter you know what their disability status or whatnot. So almost a universal program. So, you know, this amazing state of Arizona has gone from some of the first charter schools to some the first tax credit program to the first of its kind ESA program. This ESA program is now really under threat, and this expansion is potentially not going to happen. Tell us what's going on there and why it's so important for EdChoice supporters to take, take notice. So opponents of the program decided that they would uh, launch a ballot initiative. Uh, Arizona has a law that says... Uh, Anybody can, if they get a certain number of signatures, uh, in this case about 75,000 signatures, that they can halt the implementation of any law that was passed. Uh, they've got, it, I think, 90 days from when the law um, is, is signed into law to, to do this. And if they get the requisite number of signatures, it would then go on the ballot uh, at the next uh, election cycle. So that would be the, 20, the fall of 2018. Uh, so what they're trying to do is they're trying to repeal the expansion of the law. So if they were successful, it would mean that the program would still exist, but it would only exist for 
those limited number of categories of students that were already eligible at the beginning of this year, uh, it would not be expanded to all of the students that would be looking for greater school choice options. You know, so 75,000, 77,000 signatures can stop a program that can serve every Arizonan family potentially. And that's that's something very interesting to hear and, and certainly one of the things our supporters uh, should be aware of because this could potentially happen. Now, who's leading that opposition movement? And what do you think their motivation is for halting this expansion? It's a group of district school activists that want to essentially preserve the status quo. They don't, they don't want... Uh, more competition for the existing system. They, they, you know, and, and particularly who, who benefits the most? Uh, we find it's, it's the low-income families that don't have other choices. Uh, so they're trying to keep uh, a captive audience uh, from getting alternatives, and that's a that's a real shame. Is there a reason they've picked this sort of ballot initiative way to to attack this program instead of through the courts or any other way? Yeah, I mean, I think that. Uh, they were going to try anything possible to block it, and that was just one of many tools that uh, that they had. Uh, they had a limited amount of time to do it, so they struck while the iron was hot. I don't expect a lawsuit against the program itself because they've already uh, filed a lawsuit uh, several years ago. They, they when the, in 2011 when the Arizona um, Powerman Scholarship Account Program, uh, the ESA program, was first enacted. They tried to sue and, and block it in the courts, but they failed. Uh, the courts upheld the constitutionality of the program. And so that, uh, that avenue is essentially closed off for them. And this is really all they have left. Wow. So, you know, the folks who oppose this have lost in the, le- in the legislature and now they've lost to the courts and they're trying everything they can to stop parents choosing. That's really unfortunate. You know, obviously this is all unfolding as we speak, Jason. What are some of the latest developments, and what what do you think the outcome at the end of all this could be? Well, I mean, right now, uh, they're in the challenge phase, so they're trying to validate uh, the signatures. It's not They turned in 111,000 signatures, uh, so that it sounds like, you know, oh, of course, they have enough signatures. That's uh, 111, last I checked, is uh, more than 75, so they should have enough signatures, but that's not actually the case. Uh, the, they have to be 75,000 valid signatures. So if somebody uh, signs but they're not registered to vote uh, or they're not a citizen or they, uh, they, they are registered but uh, they didn't put all of their information, like they didn't put uh, that, uh, you know, it could be a fake signature. It could be that they didn't put their home address. Uh, it could, there could be issues with, um, you know, the notary not signing their name properly. And as a matter of fact, there, there are a few issues uh, that are under legal review right now. So the Americans for Prosperity uh, just filed two separate lawsuits, uh, one of them because uh, they actually have the wrong uh, legislative session on every single ballot, uh, the, or sorry, on every single um, petition. Now, the, the petitions are supposed to be reviewed under what's known as a strict scrutiny which is to say that uh, if, if there are any material errors, then that petition would be thrown out. Uh, so you have a situation where they're trying to repeal a law that was passed in a particular legislative session, but the petition refers to a different legislative session. Uh, the courts may find that that's just a typo, no big deal, or they may find that that's actually a material error and they would throw out all the petitions that have that error. Uh, another thing they're challenging is that 
some of the uh, signature gatherers, uh, paid signature gatherers, have to be registered with the state. It seems that some of them weren't. Uh, they also cannot be convicted felons. It appears that some of them were. And so that's being challenged. And there are also a number of other irregularities that I expect to see some challenges uh, with regards to those as well. Uh, for example, there was uh, some collusion with some of the uh, district schools. Uh, there was at least one email that was uncovered where a, a an employee of a district school was colluding with uh, some of the, the signature gatherers, uh, telling them when to show up at the school, uh, offering to provide them a table, you know, public resources. And uh, obviously, it, it is illegal uh, to have any um, to have the district schools, which are public entities, be involved in any way in electioneering. Uh, so there have been a number of irregularities that we expect to see challenges. Um, you know, like Yogi Derek said, it's, uh, it's impossible to make predictions, especially about the future. Uh, but uh, I, I expect that, uh, you know, it's going to be very close, but I think that there's a lot of hope for uh, school choice supporters that this might uh, be overturned. Uh, because, you know, if they succeed, you know, then it would go to the ballot uh, and, you know, hopefully we would win there. But uh, it means at the very least, even if we won, it would delay the implementation of the program for another year. And, uh, you know, these kids can't wait. So uh, this has already passed uh, the legislature. Uh, the, the people have spoken through their elected representatives. And I think that, you know, opponents are just trying to uh, stall the program, and that's very unfortunate for the kids whose uh, lives really could be changed by going to a school that works best for them now instead of having to wait. The recap, Jason, it's an incredible uh, story, and I really appreciate hearing all that recap, as I'm sure our listeners do. What is Ed Choice doing to protect the rights of these families, and what could other advocates do to get involved? Well, look, we're here on the ground in the state. I live here in Arizona, and uh, we're working awfully hard to make sure that parents know what their options are currently and uh, what this fight, what, what's at stake in this fight, uh, and making the case for educational choice and educational freedom. Uh, what other advocates can do is I think the most important thing is that the public uh, needs to hear their voices. They need to hear uh, why they support educational choice, what it means to them and their children and their family. Uh, so they should do everything they can to uh, volunteer with other organizations that are fighting this, to uh, contact their legislators, contact the media, let them know that they're there. Uh, we shouldn't only hear from the other side. We should hear from the people whose uh, educations are, are at stake. You know, that's right. That's all about putting parents first, and that's what Ed Choice is all about, making sure parents have the freedom to choose. I'd like to thank you all for listening and ask you all to please subscribe if you'd like to hear more Ed Choice chats. Until the next time, thank you very much and be well.